Well, I want to thank uh, Pastor Chad for having me today. I've been listening to your pastor preach online. Isn't that neat to see your pastor preach online? And and uh, he is a tremendous blessing. Uh, he preaches the Word. As I worshiped with you today, the choir did a fantastic job. I appreciate the leadership there. It's always good to get up and preach after you worship. You know what I'm saying? So if you've ever preached before, you know what I'm talking about. And I've been in churches where it's so dead, what happens when you get up, you got to wake people up. Well, guess what? All of y'all are awake because we've been worshiping God. And I am so grateful to be here today. We traveled down from Forsyth. My wife, Sherry, sitting right back here. Raise your hand, Sherry. She loves that. When I went to my last church, we had this, this, this robotic light, and the guy put it right over her head. And I'm like, I'm like you're taking your life into your hands. So, um, but Sherry and I have been married for 30 years, and I've been a pastor for 25 years. And just recently, uh, the Georgia Baptist Mission Board asked me to come and, on board to work within this region. You're in the East Central Region. Dodge County and also Cottondale Baptist Church are in the East Central Region. Uh, do, do any of y'all know who Buck Birch is? Well, Buck is from Eastman, so he's my boss. So if you've got a problem, you can talk to him. Or if you want me to talk to him about something, let me know. So, But Buck's a great man. Uh, he had been in our church several times to preach, and God has just tremendously blessed our friendship. Uh, Thomas Hammond is our new executive director, and on his behalf, I'd like to thank you so much for what you do in giving to the cooperative program, serving in a Georgia Baptist church, and being involved in missions, not only uh, throughout the world, but also in our state. Uh, there is so much going on in our state and so many new things that, that we're really excited about. Um, there's really a threefold core statement, core values that we have as the Georgia Baptist Mission Board now. And the first one is pastors are our heroes. Our pastors are our heroes. And I know your pastor is your hero and continue to lift him up and pray for him and, and just, uh, just be loving and kind to his family and just, just love him like I know you love him already. But pastors are our heroes. Secondly, churches are our priority. We really want to make, to make you, let you know that the churches, that's where we really find the mission center of our state. It is not at the Georgia Baptist Mission Board building. It is in every single local church. And you can have a global impact uh, just simply sending people out and praying and giving. And the third thing is that Georgia is our mission field. Uh, I come from a place in Metro Atlanta where we had several different language groups that were all around us. And it was increasing every month. We were seeing those kind of things happen and trying to reach them with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, it doesn't matter if you're in Metro Atlanta or if you're in Eastman, Georgia. You're always going to have to cross barriers to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because lostness is a barrier. And we want to make sure that we share the gospel as I know your pastor does and I know this church does. So I want to talk about this idea of strengthen. Is it up there? All right. I know it's back there. So I want to talk to you about strengthen because I want to, I want to tell you that strengthening the churches is what the Georgia Baptist Mission Board really wants to do. There are three things about strengthen. Number one, we want to make the churches stronger as much as we can to help. We want to build up. We want to nourish. We want to do what we can and so we've developed a new strategy to do that. But before I talk about that, I want to talk about what strengthen means from a biblical perspective. Now, if you've read the book of Acts, you know that the Apostle Paul went around planting churches during his first, second, third missionary journey. And as he entered into his second missionary journey, one of the things he became aware of is that churches needed to be encouraged. They needed to be strengthened. 
Because you know what? Satan is active. And he desires to destroy our lives, destroy our churches, destroy our families. And so he was a catalyst that would go in other churches just to help them to see the priorities that God already had laid on their heart. To remind them and to encourage them. And that's what we want to do as a Georgia Baptist Mission Board. We just draw this from Scripture. First of all, his goal. What was the Apostle Paul's goal? First of all, it was a missional goal. And the word missional simply means that we're on mission. Do you know that you're a missionary? That I may be a missionary in a sense, but every one of us are missionaries. That means whether we're in our family, whether we're in our neighborhood, whether we go to the gym, whether we golf, hunt, whatever we do when we're around other people, we are missionaries. And God's called us to be missional. So during Paul's second missionary journey, he did a lot of missionary work in strengthening churches. In Acts chapter 5, verse 40 through 41, it says this, Paul, Paul chose Silas and left, being committed by the brethren to the grace of the Lord, and he was traveling throughout Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. To strengthen churches, to encourage churches to continue going on and using their gifts for the glory of God. Secondly, it's biblical. Paul came alongside other churches to help them to be healthy and growing. It says in, in Acts chapter 16 and verse 5, it says, So the churches were being strengthened in the faith and were increasing in number daily. And so what, what has happened over the last few months is that uh, Thomas Hammond, I've known Thomas since seminary. I went to seminary with Thomas Hammond, and uh, Thomas has been a tremendous leader. He's worked with associations. He's been a pastor. He's worked with the North American Mission Board. He has strong relationships with the International Mission Board. He's been someone that's a great example. And when they selected them, I was on the executive committee. And when I heard that it was Thomas Hammond, I was very excited because of the kind of man and the kind of reach that God had used in his life. And uh, as he went around the state, he did 18 listening sessions. And in those listening sessions, he was listening to pastors, associational missionaries, and church members. And he kept hearing some of the same things. And so as God began to lay the vision on his heart, what happened is he looked at the state, and there were six regions. And he consulted with others. And as they looked at these six regions, they said, let's send uh, five different people into those regions to help with five different areas of ministry. You saw them up there on the screen as we looked at strength and you you've been going through the prayer guide. It talks about those things and and pastor wellness is one of them, but I want to focus primarily on the church strengthening aspect of our ministry as we serve. So, we're going to talk about evangelism, discipleship, missions, next generation and worship. Well, the first one is evangelism. And I know evangelism is very important to you, and I appreciate that. Evangelism is simply sharing the good news that Jesus died, rose again, that we must repent of our sins and place our faith in Christ to have eternal life and salvation. That secures our way to heaven as we put our trust in Christ. Did you know that over 50% of Georgia Baptist churches baptize one or more people every year, and almost 50% do not baptize anyone in a given year? And that may be a very sad statistic, but at the same time, it's a big challenge. I think it's always a big challenge to understand where we are and where we need to be. And I encourage uh, every church, not just to baptize people, to, but, but to make sure that they're saved. We believe in what is called regenerate church membership, which means in order to be a member of a Baptist church, you need to be born again. And then when you're born again, you're baptized because that is an expression of, of your, your faith. It tells everyone that you're excited to be a believer. 
And so there's great ethnic diversity across our state, great opportunity to witness. I remember when the, when the Olympics came. You remember when the Olympics came to Atlanta? It just seemed like the world came to Atlanta. And what an opportunity that was. But you know what happened when the world came? They stayed. And so what happened is we have a great mission field there and throughout our state. Uh, secondly is discipleship. Discipleship is making disciples, starting with the person's salvation and helping them to grow to be like Christ for the rest of their lives. You are discipled every morning through the preaching of God's Word on Sunday morning, through your Sunday school, through the different Bible studies that you do. But understand that preaching can't do all of it. That's why you have small groups. That's why I believe in Sunday school. That's why I believe in, in getting into circles and, and sharing the Word of God and getting it into our hearts and letting it change our lives. But then there's missions, and that's my area. So if there's five different consultants, I'm the missions consultant. So my goal here today is to encourage you in what you're already doing in missions. Did you know that one-third of all churches have no mission strategy, which means that they may, they may give, but they don't have any conscious effort that they're giving in a direction. And I want to tell you that you have a Mission Georgia Sunday speaks of the fact that you're a mission-minded church. That you're involved in the things of God. There are going to be opportunities that you can be involved in in the future that we're going to share. That you can be able to go and do a mission trip. Go on a mission trip. Or maybe go into a city in the United States and help with missionary work. In 2017, what we find, what we find out is that we need missions or 2019 more than ever. I got 2017 on my mind. I don't know what it is. What is it? Somebody's been thinking it or something. But anyway... 70% of Georgia, did you know 70% of Georgia is lost? 70%. Now, we couldn't say that 20 years ago. There was a greater percentage that were saved and lost than there are today. And there are some areas where 95% of people are lost. And so when we talk about Georgia being our mission field, understand that we are called into our own state to do missions. You are called into your own community to do missions. So let's talk about next generation. A lot is said about next generation, but we need to understand that 34% make up the next generation, which is between birth and 18 years old. Think about that. One-third of our society are next gen. And what's happening, this generation is more lost than any other generation in our history. There's a lot of reasons for that. But I will tell you that the church has to address those regions. You know, back in 2017, 34% of them were completely unaffiliated with any religion, much less evangelical Christianity. There's a great deal of lostness among, among the next generation. But I want to also encourage you in this, that through Georgia Baptist efforts, 10,000 plus were saved last year. And were involved in, in getting involved in churches so we don't need to give up on the next generation. In fact, I see the next generation in here. We need to understand that they're all around us. You know, whenever I, I think of a, a church that's willing to make changes to help, help reach the next generation, you've done some of those things. I want to tell you about that. What you're saying is you've, you've seen yourself as a missionary. You know, if we went over to, I've been, I've been to many places in the world. Indonesia has been where we've gone recently. You know how long it takes to get to Indonesia? My goodness, it's like torture. You know what I'm saying? If you get called to Indonesia, it's fine. But I've been over there three times. We've been planting churches and setting up orphanages and doing things like that. It's been real exciting. But, you know, when we go over to Indonesia, we have to 
change how we do things sometimes because they do things a little bit differently in Indonesia. A lot of it's Western, but a lot of it's different because of some of the customs. And so you'll see the churches worshiping differently. You know what? Next generation, we need to be sensitive to that. And I appreciate the fact that you love the next generation. And then number five is worship. You know, we're going to be offering conferences, camps, consultation, and equipping and worship. And it's going to be a great opportunity to reach people through worship. And I appreciate the worship that y'all had this morning. It really stirred my soul. Man, I appreciate you reading the scripture and praying like you do, brother. I'm telling you what. I, I, I don't know. I'm just excited. I'm, I'm the excitable type anyway. You remember when, it, when I said Acts 16.5? I want to kind of break down that for just a minute to see what happened in the churches when they were strengthened. It says, so the churches were strengthened in the faith, were increasing daily. There's three things about that. First of all, when we strengthen churches, the faith of people grows stronger. I believe it grows stronger. I hope today your faith is stronger because you've been in the house of God. And I hope I have been a small part of strengthening your faith. I want you to know that you're, some, you're a part of something big, global, that you make a difference for eternity. Number two, souls are saved. It says they were increasing in number. It wasn't just, it wasn't just transfer growth. It was also people getting saved and coming into the body of Christ. And number three is community. The community is saturated with the gospel. That this happened daily. You know, you know when we choose to walk with God, it's not just on Sunday, is it? Now, I grew up Roman Catholic, okay? So we would go to the confession. We'd go do a bunch of bad stuff. We'd go to the confessional, confess it so we could go worship. Well, Baptists ain't much better. We don't have a confessional booth. But understand, Sunday is one day of the week. But every day is a day to witness and a day to worship. And so as uh, God is working in your life, he's working in my life. And I want to share. You say, well, you've already preached your message. No, I hadn't even got started. And there's not a clock on the front. They had a clock on the front row of my last church. I don't know why. They don't need to get any ideas, do they? And you know what? It was a clock that you could have put a timer on and no one ever did. And I always thought some joker was going to do that. Well, I want you to turn to Luke chapter 14. In Luke chapter 14, we find a parable of Jesus that I want to spend just a few moments sharing and walking with you through it so that you see the heart of Jesus when it comes to reaching our community with the gospel. As I said before, we ought to be missional, and the word missional simply means that we see ourselves as missionaries, that we are willing uh, to change what we do in order to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, uh, you know, everywhere we go, we're a missionary. And so what we're going to find is that Jesus is addressing a group of people. We all know the Pharisees, and the Pharisees, honestly, were very orthodox, conservative people. They believed the Word of God. They also added a lot of rules to the Word of God. And so as they went around uh, the communities, the Pharisees were kind of lifted up among the people, but they were almost people that you could not strive to even be like. You almost had to be a professional Christian, a professional Jew to be a Pharisee. And so these Pharisees had a lot of rules. And when Jesus came on the scene, at first they probably were inquisitive about whether, he was, whether or not he was the Messiah. But after a while, of course, what happened is they began to turn on Jesus. And what they wanted to do is they wanted to find any and every reason to discredit Jesus. In verse 1, it says, one, one Sabbath, when he went to dine at the house of the ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. They weren't watching him because they wanted to find out if he was the Messiah. They were watching him to trap him. 
They were trying to trap Jesus. And so he is at this meal, he's at this feast, and during this time he begins to expose their motives. He begins to expose the fact that their concern was more about keeping up appearances than it was about reaching people with the gospel, reaching people with the message of God's word. In verses 12 through 14, Jesus turns the tables on them and exposes their, the motives of his host and challenges everyone at the table to reach out to the least desirable in society. And then if you will, as it is your custom, would you please stand? We're going to read God's word. It is, it is Luke chapter 14, and we're going to read verses 15 through verse 24. It says, but when one of those who reclined at table with him heard these things, He said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But he said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field and I must go to see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. Another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor, crippled, blind, and lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you command is all, all, has, has been done, and, and still there's room. And the master said to his servant, Go out into the highways and the hedges and compel the people to come in, that my house may be filled. I tell you, none of those men who are invited shall taste my banquet. Father, thank you for your word. Bless the reading of it, the preaching of it, and our responding to it. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to share with you some things from this passage, but first I want to point out a phrase that that this man, he's sitting at this banquet with these Pharisees, and here's Jesus, and, and this man kind of pipes up and he says these words, Blessed is he that shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. And I think what he was doing is saying, listen, you know, as I look at the world around me and I see all the immorality and the sin in this world, Man, I'm looking forward to heaven. I'm looking forward to going to heaven. One day I won't have all this surrounding me. One day I won't have all these challenges around me. And you know what? I think all of us feel that way. Man, we watch television. We see things on the news. We see things going on in our community. And we think, man, it's just, it's just rapidly moving away from God. And we know that, that America is, for the most part, rapidly moving away from God in our culture. But when it gets darker, we should shine brighter. We shouldn't give up on the world around us. We should understand that God's put us in this generation for this reason to reach these people. God has not placed us here to just long for heaven. It's great to long for heaven. I love to sing songs about heaven. But I want you to understand that we need to depopulate hell and populate heaven by sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, what I believe this man's attitude was, was, you know, it's going to be so great to get to heaven. You know, I won't be surrounded by these sinners anymore, and I'll just be with Jesus. But I want to tell you, that attitude, we've got to be very careful. Because what happens, this precipitates a parable that Jesus shares with them, that shares with us three things, three truths we need to know about winning people to Jesus. By the way, we don't win them to Jesus. Jesus wins them to Jesus, right? 
We are obedient to share. He is obedient to save. We share the gospel, and that's our responsibility. So I want to talk to you about that. I want to share three things about this, three truths about sharing our faith. Number one, we must embody the urgency of the master. I want you to see what happened again in verses 16 through verse 17. It says, but he said to him, this is the parable, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many, and at the same time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. Now what we find here are two invitations. You know, today they have, my, I've got a son that just got married two years ago, and I'm doing my other son's wedding on December the 20th. And uh, we're going to go up there. That's on a Friday. Isn't that weird that he's doing it on a Friday? But they're doing it on a Friday because he's a police officer and that's going to give him more time off. Well, the thing, about, the thing about that is whenever you go to a wedding today, they have something called save the date. Y'all know what a save the date is? That's when they send you an invitation, but they don't give you all the details. They basically say, save this date because we're getting married on this date. And so when it came to this banquet, this man had sent a save the date. And now on the day of the banquet, he went and did something even further. This was their custom. He sent his servants out and said, now go out there and tell them, listen, the food's ready. The banquet is ready. You've been invited. It's your time to come. It was an exciting time. And so what we find is that this, this master is urgent. And without stretching too much, I think about the invitation that was given at the cross. Think about the fact when Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. When he died on the cross, those six hours, when he bore the sins of the world on the cross, when he died in our place, that was an invitation. That was to save the date in this sense. That when Jesus died on the cross, he secured for those he would save forgiveness. You say, that's enough of a message. No, it's not enough of a message. In fact, notice what he did with that message. Later on, he sent out servants to go and share the message that the banquet is ready right now. You know what I think about those servants? I think those servants in some way is us. That Jesus Christ has secured on the cross salvation. But what we must do is we must go and share it. And as they went from door to door, as they went to the people that were invited, what happened is a lot of people gave excuses. So I want to look secondly at excuses. I'm afraid I'm preaching too short, brother. Take all your time. I might preach a second sermon for us. I will not do that. I promise you, you'll get to dinner on time. Not lunch, but dinner. Okay. But before I talk about these excuses, I was reading about a pastor one time who had been invited to preach in a prison. And it was one of these state prisons. It was the place where they would do executions. So he knew it was a very serious place and he had to go through a lot of vetting. Finally, he came into the place where he was going to preach and he met the warden there. And he, when he met the warden, he noticed that the, the seats were lined up, but there was one seat in the front row and it was draped in black. He said, what's... What's that seat draped in black? What does that mean? He said, that man right there, he's going to be executed in the morning. In fact, this is the last sermon he will ever hear. Let me ask you something. Would that change the urgency of the preaching? Can I tell you, your pastor preaches 
as though there is someone here that can receive Christ as their personal Lord and Savior? Do you know that if a preacher gets up and he doesn't preach like that, that he's not really preaching? See, the idea is when you preach the gospel, you're looking for people to put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I think of that pastor who preached that message. That just amped him up even more because he knew it was that man's last time. Can I tell you something? The Bible says today is the day of salvation. You know, a lot of people postpone salvation, but I want to tell you, today may be your last day. This past week, I did a funeral for my 74-year-old friend, E.B. Noble. E.B. Noble was a Vietnam veteran. He had been in the Navy. He had uh, owned his own business. He was one of the wisest, kindest, loving men. And as I read the letters that were written by his wife and his two children, I uh, almost brought tears to my eyes because of their love and devotion for this man. But the one thing that really touched me the most was the fact that the day before E.B. died, as he sat in, in, in Emory University Hospital, and as his doctor came by his bedside, he asked the doctor, do you know Jesus? He said, no, no, I, I, I'm agnostic. He said, would you do me a favor? He said, would you start reading the Gospel of John? And would you come by tomorrow and tell me what you thought about it? See, he wanted to get a chance to witness one more time. He died before that doctor could come back by, but he was witnessing on his deathbed. See, God calls us to share the gospel. No matter where we are, no matter how bad we feel, he wants us to share the gospel. The second thing that I want you to see is that we must expect the excuses of the invited. If you notice in verse 18, there's the excuse of work. In verse 19, there's the excuse of possessions. In verse 20, there's even the excuse of family. I've been married. I can't come to the banquet. Do you know a lot of people use a lot of excuses when it comes to coming to Jesus? They do. You, you've heard them. I used them a lot. I used them a lot. I didn't get saved until I was 17 years old. And there were people that would witness to me and, and share the gospel with me. And I thought, well, I'm okay. I'm an American. All Americans are Christians. That ain't true. We know that's not true. We are a Christian nation in the sense that our founding fathers were Christian. We have a lot of Christian values in our culture. Praise God for that. But at the same time, we know that you're not a Christian just because you're an American. You're not a Christian just because you belong to a denomination or you've been baptized or whatever we want to say. You know, as a pastor, as sometimes I've gone door to door and talked to people, I find out that it seems like everybody's a Christian, everybody belongs to a church, but half of them don't go. Y'all notice that. But I want to tell you, if you don't go to church, you're not being nourished in the faith. And it may disprove. It may disprove. I mean, it's hard to profess to be a Christian if you're not involved with the people of God. There's a lot of excuses. I'm going to list some of the excuses I've heard. Not now. I'm not ready. What will my friends think? That was a big one for me. I will have to give up too much. You know, I'm pretty good. I don't need salvation. Or I'm so bad, God can't forgive me. I can't live the Christian life. I've tried it. I've failed. And I've even heard this. I just don't feel it. But you know, when we hear the gospel that Jesus Christ died and rose again, that he desires to live in our hearts, that we must receive him by repentance and faith, when we hear that message and we turn away from God and we don't accept it, we're not just saying later, we're saying no. You can't say no and Lord in the same sentence. Because we have to receive Christ when we hear it. Of course, the Holy Spirit draws us. Of course, we know that it's a work of God. But at the same time, if you haven't received Christ as your personal Savior, today 
you can receive Christ. We're going to give an invitation. We're going to give you an opportunity to come to know Jesus Christ. You can come and speak to Pastor Chad. Or maybe there's someone else you want to speak to in here that you're close to about the gospel of Jesus Christ. You say, what if people don't respond? I want you to look at verse 21. It says, so the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city. Bring in the poor and the cripple and the blind and the lame. He didn't call off the banquet because people weren't coming. He said, listen, let's populate this banquet. Let's invite folks in. They didn't get a, they didn't get a save the date. But guess what? They're going to hear about this banquet and we're going to invite them to come. You know what? The servants didn't give up just because people said no to the invitation. That's why you can't give up on people. You can't. And I'm telling you, and, I, and I'm just sharing a lot of my testimony. When I was a 17-year-old boy, I'm, going to be, I'm ashamed to say this. I was involved in drugs and alcohol. I had a friend take me to church. And you know what won me to Jesus? I'm going to tell you what won me to Jesus. Number one was the preaching of God's Word. It was a youth pastor that was willing to answer my questions and really connect with me on a personal level. But I want to tell you, there were two ladies that helped me come to know Jesus. Marie and Joyce, they were sisters. They were the kind of folks that when they sang in the choir, you could only hear them. They were loud, okay? And... Uh, but they were, they were the most loving people I've ever met in my life. Back then, ladies used to wear a lot of makeup. And I would go in there, and by the time I was done, I'd get so many hugs from them. They would just hug me. And it'd be all over my coat right there. It'd be all over my jacket right there. And I'd smell like them for the rest of the day. I had to take a shower after going to church. But, you know, they loved me to Jesus. They cared about me. And I showed up. I had a beer sticker on my car. It said, Moose is Loose, some kind of beer company. And she thought, she didn't know it was a beer company. She, she said, Moose is loose. That's kind of funny. I said, no, it's not. But, um, but you know that, I want to tell you something. Joyce is dead. Marie is someone that's still in my life. Last time I talked to her, she said, I pray for you every day. See, they love me to Jesus. See, evangelism isn't as hard as you think it is. Yeah, there are cold turkey moments that you need to do, and you need to muster up the courage and faith to do it. But at the same time, he's put you in a circle of influence. Maybe it's where you work. Maybe it's the ladies you know that you go to school with your kids and you go to the PTA. Maybe it's the, maybe it's the golf course you're at. But God's put those people in your life for a reason, to love them to Jesus. You don't have to wear makeup, get makeup all over them. I'm saying that you just have to love them and they have to know that you love them. Because they don't care what you know until they know that you care, right? We've heard that for a long time, but it's, it's really good. And here's the point. The only ones who come to the master are those who know that they need to come. Yeah. So if you're praying for someone to come to Christ, understand God might bring a crisis in their life. If you've ever had a straying child that's gotten away from the Lord... I pray, I pray for my sons at times. And you know what? Sometimes he had to bring a crisis in their life to bring them back. And it broke my heart, broke their heart. But you know, when you pray for people and you care about where they're going to spend eternity, you're praying a prayer that's going to change their life. Don't allow the excuses of others to be your excuse for not witnessing. 
And then number three, you need to embrace the loyalty of the servants. I want you to look at verses 22 through verse 24 because it tells us what the servants did. Now, the master was telling them to go, but they, they did not resist the master's call. In verse 22 it says, And the servants said, Sir, what you have commanded has been done. In other words, we've already done that. We've already gone out and got all the people that we anticipated you were going to ask. They didn't have to be asked. They had already done it. He says, then they went on and said, it's been done, but there's still room. And the master said to the servant, go out to the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who are invited shall taste my banquet. The highways and the hedges. That just means wherever you go, you're sharing the gospel. You ever thought about the Great Commission? We all know the Great Commission. Y'all good Baptists, you know the Great Commission. We all know the one in chapter 28 of Matthew, verses 18 through 20. And you've probably had it preached to. You know, it really is about making disciples. And there's three things we do when we make disciples. We go, we baptize, and we teach. And, you know, I'm the kind of guy, you know... All of us have our natural giftings and our natural abilities. And I'm not a natural soul winner. I am not. I went to a seminary. Man, they taught us how to do soul winning. In fact, you couldn't get your grades unless you, you went out there and shared the gospel. But God's taught me that you can't teach people until you've gone and shared the gospel with them. They've got to get saved before you can teach them. Now, you can teach them before they get saved, but it's a lot easier when the Holy Spirit's inside of them so that he can teach them as you teach them. So God has called us to go. That word go means everywhere you go. As you go, he wants you to make disciples. Let's look at two characteristics of loyalty when it comes to these servants. Number one is obedience. In verse 22, it basically tells us that the master didn't want them to give up, but to go invite anyone and everyone. See, our job is to share the gospel. God's job is to save them. And it is the love of Christ from 2 Corinthians 5.14. The love of Christ compels us. That's what draws us into this, and this compelling mission to share the gospel in obedience. And then secondly is determination. When the ones who are not like us won't respond to the gospel, then we must reach out to those who are not like us. You know, one of the things I know about this church and most churches is we say to people, you're welcome to come to our church. Have y'all ever said that? We want you to come to our church. You're welcome. But you know, we almost need to cross the line a little bit further and say, we want you to come to our church. See, a lot of people, I'm, I'm going to tell you something I did in my latter days of being a pastor at Mount Zion Baptist Church, is I had gotten kind of tired of people telling me, oh, I go to another church, and then I would ask them, how often do you go? And they hardly ever went. And so I'd say, well, we'd love to have you at Mount Zion. you say, well, you're a sheep stealer. No, I'm not a sheep stealer. The fact is, if someone's not going to church, they may have a church membership. The fact is, they need to be in church somewhere. Y'all are very friendly. When someone comes through that door, I know you love them. But that's not the end-all, be-all of evangelism. You can't just put a church sign by the road and say, well, they know we're here. We got our, we got our times on the sign. Certainly they're going to come. No, that's a, that's a come-and-hear gospel, not a go-and-tell gospel. And Jesus has called us to go and to tell. 
We've got to say to the community, not only are you welcome, you are wanted. So we're called to embrace the, uh, the, we are to embody the urgency of the master, expect the excuses of the invited, and embrace the loyalty of the servant. What you need to do right now, and I think your pastor is going to challenge you to do, is you need to begin to identify who he is calling you to witness to. And as you do that, what happens, if you'll pray a bold prayer and say, God, I'm going to pray for this person and pray for opportunities to share the gospel with them. They may not come to faith in Christ, but I'm going to determine to build a relationship with them. You know, I'd have to say, we did Who's, who's Your One, and we saw people saved through Who's Your One. And there's still a couple that I've been praying about, prayed for them, prayed for them in my prayer list when I pray that prayer list. I want to tell you, what happens is God has built a bridge to that person. I'm still looking for an opportunity to witness to them and to share the gospel with them. There have been many times they've gone through crises and I've been able to be there for them. But ask God to do that. You know, who's your one? Who is that person that you want to bring to faith in Christ? Maybe a grandson, a granddaughter. It might be a son or daughter. It might be a mom or dad. It might be a co-worker. It might be someone that's in your neighborhood. But, you know, you're not exempt just because you don't feel like, man, I'm just not someone that can share my faith well. well there's many ways to learn to share your faith well. And God wants you to learn and then share. Not just know it, but do it. Have you ever thought about the fact that everybody's chair is draped in black? A hundred years from now, every single person in this room, including myself, will be dead. Did you know that? A hundred years from now. That's not that long. I'm 52 years old. I'm over a half century years old. I hate saying it, but I am. Right? But understand that my days, I probably have less days ahead of me than I have behind me. And every single human being is created in the image of God, male and female. They have significance in the eyes of God because they're created in the image of God. But every single human being is fallen, sinful, separated from God without Jesus. And everybody you lock eyes with needs Jesus. Some of them have already received him. Some of them haven't. It's our goal to find that one and to share the gospel with that one. So we're going to have an invitation Pastor Chad, I'm going to have you stand down here and receive people. I'd like to just extend it. And our, we'll have some music. And, and what I want to challenge you to do, if you've not received Christ today, I want you to come to Chad and say, you know, I need to put my faith in Christ. You say, well, I'm not sure if I've received Jesus. I may, may have made some spiritual decision in the past, but I'm not sure today that I know Jesus as my Savior. You say, what are you supposed to do with that? Come to Jesus. You say, well, I may just be recommitting my life. If the Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart, convicting you of sin, and revealing that you might not be saved, you need to get saved today. You don't need to put it off. You don't need to think, I say, I'll think about it. If the Spirit is convicting you, revealing that Jesus is who He said He was and is, and that He died and rose again for you, you need to receive Christ today. You don't need to wait one more moment. Feel the urgency of the Master to receive Christ as your Savior. And for others, you may want to come and pray for that one. You may want to just come and say, God, I want to begin today or continue to pray for that one that receives Christ. You know, so often 
The movement of God only happens when we are willing to do what God calls us to do. Sometimes it's just come to the altar and pray. Sometimes it's grab someone else and share Jesus with them. But would you be obedient to what the Spirit is leading you to do?